On this episode of the Backstage Project Podcast, we're joined by one of the top media sales leaders on the planet. Alan Dark has worked his way up the ranks over the last 20 years, making stops at just about every major media company in Canada. He currently resides over the crown jewel of Canadian media rights, the National Hockey League, in his role as Senior Vice President of Revenue at Rogers Sports and Media. Alan, thanks for joining us. Mark, nice to see you, buddy. How you been? I've been well, thank you. A little busier than, than I'm comfortable with, but you know, I, I have nothing to complain about. So, I mean, I'll ask you, like, how are you? And, and let's just get this out of the way. Can I call you Al? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Every, everybody calls me Al. My friends call me Al. I, it's all good. So you're, you're doing all right as well? Yeah, listen, I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Uh, you know, it has been a very interesting year, to say the least. I mean, we're literally almost doing this on the one year anniversary. It was this week where, you know, we were quickly pivoting to send our people home and get them working from home and get them getting them set up. And it has been one of the most challenging and yet probably one of the most rewarding years I've had through my career. Uh, lots of ups and downs, but also, you know, what an interesting uh, change in lifestyle, right? Like, I'm a guy who used to spend so many nights a, uh, a year on the road traveling with customers or to see my sales folks across Canada. And, and um, I spent more evenings having dinner with my kids than I probably have in the last four or five years. So that, that's been absolutely amazing on a personal front. Yeah, listen, that's that's amazing to hear. And and for people with you know roles like yours, which are quite demanding, um, you know, this is something that it's it's obviously a mixed blessing. This has not been this COVID has not been distributed equally amongst different parts of society. But um, you know, to hear that you've been able to, you know, kind of reconnect with 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 the family and and of course do your job and excel is is great to hear. What I wanted to get into just kind of to start off our chat today is. Yeah, I know that you've worked for some legendary sales leaders in your career. I just wanted to look at who are your mentors, either in your career or maybe earlier in life, that you would lend some credit toward uh, for helping you to shape you into the leader you are today. Yeah, listen, I'm. Uh, I have been so blessed through my career to work for you know, literally the, some of the best in the industry. Uh, and there's been so many people that have, you know, shaped me as, as not only a, as a, you know, a sales leader and a business person, but, you know, have affected me personally as well. Uh, and, you know, many of them I'm still very, very close with, uh, even though, you know, I may not see them every day. Um, you know, early in my career was a gentleman by the name of David Mintz, who was the president of Global, who Izzy Asper had hired to run Global Television for. I worked for him in Vancouver. And then I was lucky enough to meet a gentleman by the name of Jack Tomic, who, you know, 
in all honesty, probably had the biggest effect on my career um, because I worked for him a number of times at at different organizations. And so, you know, right from the point of being a, a, a rep in Vancouver to a national rep in Toronto and all the way up, uh, he's he's had a, a, a big hand in, in my success. And, you know, I, I don't forget that at all. I still spend a lot of time with Jack. He's still somebody that I reach out to when I'm, you know, struggling with a decision or, you know, thinking about different ways to challenge and motivate my, my folks. Um, and, and, and then, you know, later on, it's it, not just from a sales perspective, but, you know, business leaders, folks that you've worked with, like Rick Brace and yeah. Keith Pelly and Scott Moore, all of those individuals really had, you know, a hand in my career and, uh, you know, a hand in, in training me to be a business person Lori Legault, Rita Fabian, like just there's been so many folks. And then they even, you know, I think those are folks that I've worked for. But then I then I think about all the customers or business partners that I've dealt with over the years. And, you know, Keith Wattell, who's chief revenue officer for the NHL. And, you know, he and I have worked together now for over 11 years. And we've been partners, you know, through my years at the CBC. And then when I got here at Rogers, uh, you know, he, he's become a good friend and a, and a confidant. But he's also, you know, someone who drives me absolutely crazy sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, we push each other's buttons. Clinton Berganza you know, uh, at Scotiabank, another person who I've relied on a lot through my career and Greg Mason at Disney. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's been a number of folks uh, over the over the twenty some odd years. I guarantee you, I'm missing a a number of individuals that that I'm that just aren't popping into the top of my head right now. No. And now I got a, you know, I've got a a new boss, uh, Jordan Banks, who who uh, comes from you know the digital world, exceptional business person. And, and so even now, like, I find I am, I am, I've been so lucky with, with people who I've either worked for or worked with, um, who I continue to learn from today. And so very, very blessed, uh, in my 20 some odd years in, in this industry. No, those are some, those are some great names. It's really a who's who of the last pretty much 30, 40 years of, of media in Canada, at least broadcast media. We're gonna, we're gonna dive in. To a, a few of the kind of brands that you uh, that that you mentioned today, uh, as we as we go through our chat, I'm very very curious to hear uh, you know your perspective on the relationships that you have with many of them, and uh, I'm, lo I'm looking forward to it. That's great. To get kind of started, and and I want to help the audience kind of put the two of us together a little bit. Sure. So we first met probably uh, well, I was at like this Olympic consortium thing, which by now our listeners know. Quite a transformative experience for me. So we first met, like maybe 2008. I think you were still at CTV in the in the sales leadership role. And yep. when you look at the topic of data, uh, data back then, it obviously it wasn't as relevant as it is today. Yep. There was a lot. We were preoccupied a lot with the concept of impressions. It made sense. I mean, that's the way the industry was at. Technology was not yet ready to go beyond that. So let's fast forward a little bit to today and maybe you can talk about the role 
of data and how important it is for your business? Yeah, listen, it's, um, I don't want to say it's everything, but it, it's, it's, it, it is right up there. Uh, you know, when you think about, so I'm not even talking about the marketing side of the equation, and I will touch on that a little bit, but you know, we, we, we think a lot about customer journey. We think a lot about developing products and services that have relevance to consumers today. And, you know, data underpins all of it. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at a world, uh, an interesting timing for our conversation. So I hope we talk a little bit about it, but, um, where we are going to see traditional models fragmented where consumption is going to come from a number of let's call them channels um and i don't mean in the you know uh the old term of television channel i mean di different distribution uh you know different different forms of distribution apps uh, mobile, uh, connected TVs, OTT, you know, uh, legacy cable, future cable, um, you know, and, and, and all of them have, or all the new ones have a layer of data and understanding around customer behavior that, you know, we are through, through very privacy compliant ways, uh, uh, have access to an insight from. And so, you know, if, even if you look at our organization and others like us, you know, the, the types of people that we are hiring and bringing into our organizations, you know, the you know, data scientists, people who can, you know, drill in on big data and better understand consumers' wants and needs uh, and how do we structure uh products and services that that add value to them is is uh it's it's of massive importance to us um and then you and then you kind of overlay the, mar the marketing side of that equation right so you know there's not many marketers i mean don't get me wrong i still absolutely believe in mass matt there's a huge and i do think you know in some cases the industry has over 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 tilted to audience segmentation because what we're now finding is you know uh cost of acquisitions are going up because they're not as focused on top top end funnel brand attribution uh brand affinity and are just focused on lower funnel so i think you know you you know we're starting to see this swing back where um you know their brands are as focused on on building uh building their affinities with with customers um while keeping a close eye on attribution and, and lower funnel uh execution but again data and our ability to segment audiences is is you know is a priority for every marketer out there and uh it is something that kind of drives every conversation that we have now and that wasn't always the case, right? There was, there was contextual, you know, everyone was very focused on types of content and contextually how that 
you know, pertained to their, their uh, customer base, but now we can be far more surgical in the way that we approach those audiences. And I'm not going to say that content and context doesn't matter because it still very much does. Um, especially when you get into things like brand safety and, you know, you think about some of the new video platforms and the type of content that is on some of those platforms, um, you know, brands need to be conscious of those things as well, even though um, from a data perspective, it's it's telling you that that's the right person to put your message in front of, you know, potentially at the right time. But you have to make a decision at that point whether or not it's it's good for the brand. But yeah, you know, it 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 really does drive, I would say, almost every one of our conversations with marketers today. There is an there is a level or an undertone of data and and audience segmentation that that drives those conversations. It's amazing to hear you talk like this. I mean, I, I got many friends who work on the on the brand side for big big telcos retailers. They speak the way you just spoke, so it was a little surprising to hear you get into that. I was actually thrilled that you were talking about things like a return on ad spend, lower funnel. Uh, I didn't realize that maybe some of the, let's call it sales that you were doing, um, were more directed to lower funnel, more directed to, let's call it digital channels. We're going to get into some of this in a minute, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But yeah. really, the last piece I do want to go back to, which is the return to top of funnel. And, and I'm not going to assume what's driving it. I just would like you to provide a little more color around what's driving that return to top of funnel awareness. Yeah, listen, I, I think it is, um, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it is a couple of things. I think it is, um, you know, sh shift in behaviors, right? Um, I think it is, uh, uh, I think it is, you know, as marketers become better, and I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I'll preface this that, you know, what I see and in the conversations that I have with 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 my partners, not everyone is in the same is on the same part of the path. There are some marketers who heavily got into leveraging data and audience segmentation. And I think a lot of it, too, is based on their own business. Right. If you if you were in a business where you have a lot of data around your own customers, you understood early on the value and the power of that data and how you could potentially unlock it with media partners. And, you know, let's be frank, that really is what has, you know, uh, underpinned the growth for Google and Facebook, right? It's the data story, end of story. It is not a content piece. I would argue that the mechanism itself from an advertising perspective doesn't come anywhere close to what, you know, traditional television or video provides, right? Um, that's why Facebook wanted to get into video so badly. Um, but that data story is so interesting. Being able to define a segment, present offers in real time, test and prove price point creative, walk them through the, th the, the funnel, and then calculate a return on investment, right? It's a mathematical equation. 
Um, and it's, it's, it's that piece that was always missing from traditional media. Um, we could define an audience. We could tell a marketer, hey, we're going to deliver X amount of impressions over this period of time. We're going to come back to you and prove that we delivered it. But we could never connect the dots on the, you know, how many people did that um, convert? So, um, I so I think a lot of marketers went heavy in that in that space and area. And, and I'll tell you, just just based on our own knowledge and things that we see, because we as a vertically integrated company with sitting on an enormous amount of data across many channels um, is something we're focused. It's definitely something we're focused on. And, you know, we, we even see it in our, in our in our marketing. Like we see that if, you know, if you're not as focused on building brand and improving you know th those LTR scores, likelihood to recommend, and you're not, uh, uh, you know, creating a positive affinity for your brand, you will very quickly work through the positive people or consumers around your brand, and then it is just it's a constant increase in that cost to churn them through the cycle, and so if you're not as focused on improving affinity as you are as you know imp improving attribution through the lower end of the funnel you can you can hit them with as many offers as you possibly could and you find very quickly that it's impossible to turn them so if you're not kind of working both levers at the same time very quickly you run out of runway on the attribution side and i think that marketers are starting to figure that out and that's why there's this wave back to oh god we we need to continue to build brand affinity and it is now as important as lower funnel because if we don't we just see that cost of act of acquisition rise month by month by month well you know more about this subject than probably anyone else in the country and the way you spoke which i don't is, know about that but <laughs> well I'm going to give you credit because of all the other things I've already said very nicely about you. But <laughs> I think there are listeners of this podcast. They come from all, all sorts of places in the ecosystem. If I had to skew one way, I probably would skew toward kind of the content and, and just maybe some of the sport business side of things, yeah. not so much the sales side of it. So yeah. I wanted to go down a series of questions just to help explain the topic a bit and i'm not looking for 101 answers i'm looking for al dark like this is what it means answers as we kind of go through this next bit sure so we've already had someone who i'm sure you know is sam gallett from endeavor on on the podcast yeah i know he's more well known in like the sponsorship circles and property side yeah you clearly you know reside over a portfolio business that is so much more than sponsorship but i wanted your help to explain the difference as you see it between sponsorship and advertising. And if you can, you know, which one is more of a focus for your team? Yeah, no, listen, it, it is a, it's a great, it's a great question. And I think you, if you asked 10 marketers, you likely would get 10 different answers, but um, so this is kind of how we think about it in our group. So, when I think about sponsorship today, and listen, it's 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 moving, right? I think about 
uh, our ability to work with brands in a way where we are integrating them into content in, in ways that we traditionally don't do through our traditional advertising products. So to me, advertising is someone delivers me a piece of creative, whether it's audio, video display, um, static video, whatever, and we place that piece of creative, it, <clears throat> whether it's in a linear stream, uh, an on-demand stream, it's in, a, it's in a format, whether it's like a 30 or a 15 second unit spot, uh, it's a it's a big box piece of creative, some kind of, you know, on, on one of the websites. To me, that's advertising. So th they've created it. We are just placing it within um, our feeds and usually in the format of pods. Uh, there's a defined space for us to execute these, let's call them spots. Um, sponsorship is us working with brands and developing placements, content, creative that is placed in and or around uh, our content in non-traditional ways. So whether that be, um, you know, uh, you know, integrated into our live programming or live shows, or we're creating branded content with our talent and we're distributing that content through different plan, uh, you know, platforms and channels, social, et cetera, um, you know, on-air mentions, you know, it, 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 it's really bringing the brands, a, you know, a, a little bit closer to our content and brands with, with effectively a form of uh, a deeper relationship. And, and it comes in many flavors and formats. Probably we could spend you know, an hour just talking about all of those flavors and formats. Um, you know, as someone who, you know, worked on one of the biggest Olympics in Canada, you know, you guys did some absolutely amazing work in this space, um, you know, and, and, and broke some molds, I would say, and, and, and challenged, you know, broadcasters and content creators in ways that have an effect, you know, still today. Like, you know, if you look at and watch uh, some of our programming and content and look at how we are bringing brands to life within that, within those, uh, within those vehicles, it's amazing. Like it's, it's exciting for folks that work in our industry. Um, and I think we're doing it, uh, you know, more creatively than we ever have before. Um, and, and, you know, digital and, and social and some of these channels have really expanded our thinking in the way that we distribute some of these content elements. Um, and it's, it, I would say it is gaining traction in our, in our world. It's a big, it's a big part of what we do today and a growing percentage of, you know, our revenue growth year over year. So thinking about today, how are sponsors making investment decisions, just kind of in general terms, maybe different than how they were a year ago or certainly a few years ago? Yeah, listen, I, I wish there was a silver bullet answer to that question, because again, I think different 
marketers have different strategies and are at different points in their journey around what they're trying to build and you know the kpis that they are most focused on so there, there's no like overarching you know oh this this is it i you know i i think that um you know some of the bigger uh bigger marketers are are without a doubt are they have pillars within their own strategies that they see a very distinct line and correlation to some of our products and services and they they want you know they want to own it they want to own a bigger share of voice they want to be able to be front and center as a brand they want to stand out amongst their competitive set and so you know to them there is a there's an you know an, an inherent value that they create for their strategy by you know building out a relationship with us um and, and part of it i think is affinity for brand but i also think as as we kind of progress and move forward they're also leaning on us more and more to develop content for them so you know they are they are using content that we are creating with them for their own you know, communication channels. They are leaning in to us to help them define uh, audience uh, uh, segments that they can, uh, that we can help them define and then that they can sculpt a very specific communication plan for. Um, they are uh, activating against uh, a, a relationship potentially with the league, you know, some of them have relationships with the leagues. And so because of that relationship, they want to create uh, a bigger um, platform to execute some of those uh, properties and relationships with us. They want to create content with us. Um, and so the, the only way that they can really do that is by uh, engaging with us more deeply than just a pure advertising transactional approach. Um, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, some of the greatest campaigns um, that we see today, you know, uh, started as just pure, like pure advertising. What I find is usually they start there. And then if they if they get the feedback and the response and they see the KPIs and it doesn't always work uh, the same way for every every brand. But when they see that and, you know, maybe this. You know, maybe a relationship with us around hockey has spiked interest for consumers. That's usually when the conversation starts to expand a relationship. And how do we how do we um, how do we create a bigger share of voice with you folks that we can control, uh, we being the brand? Um, because then it's you know you know we are we are usually sculpting a very specific portion of real estate out for them where they own that share of voice for a period of time and and for a lot of marketers that's you know when you think about the marketplace and how fragmented it is today and will continue to be in the future you know there, there's a lot of upside for for many brands um who think about think about it in that way that was a terrific answer and and it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about an investment both an investment in a partner being the media company like you guys and investment in a property, whatever, whatever sport it may be. When you're, when you're kind of motivating your team or when you're telling stories to clients as examples of you know, activations, we'll call them, you know, 
what what are the i think we'll just go with one example in the interest of time what, what, what's an example and i don't really it doesn't matter to me which company you were working for at the time when you yeah. sold it um but what, what's one of those examples of a of a let's say an advertiser that went from to into a sponsorship we'll just call it that in simple terms that that you go to as saying this is my kind of case study best in class example oh my that god. you sold that you sold yeah 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 that i sold oh my god um all right, I'm going to – so the fr first one that popped into my head, and I'll tell you, it's actually not a great uh, – you know, I was scared to death because it didn't play out the way that I had hoped it would. So early on in my career, I sold one of the first virtual campaigns um, ever in this country. So working at Global at the time, it was Super Bowl, and we were, we had just launched, you know, virtual technology. And so we were going to overlay a brand in the Super Bowl. And, oh God, I don't even remember what year this was. So this was, this was cutting edge. I get a brand, you know, it's Super Bowl, so it's massive investment from the brand's perspective. And we uh, we're gonna put we're gonna put this brand um, literally on the field during the Super Bowl, and you know customers super excited. They've got a number of spots. We've got you know traditional billboards, but the piece de resistance of this execution is that front and center. This brand is literally going to be on the field for a period of time in the Super Bowl. And when we execute it, the brand is uh, shrinking. It's it's expanding. It was moving all over the field, and I'm watching the Super Bowl, and I just remember going, "Oh my God, what?" And sure enough, the phone's ringing. I got a customer going, "What is going on?" Now, at the end of the day. Uh, it was probably the greatest thing that could have happened to them because the the amount of earned media that they got in this country, because every you know so many people were talking about it, uh, you know mostly positive, but um, you know it was one of those things that you know early on in my career, you know you learn that, uh, and it was kind of my the first time I really started to think about technology differently in broadcast uh and and i'm you know you see it more and more today uh but yeah that i think that was that was probably the one that popped out to me the most in terms of just biggest effect that i had the you know i had something that i sold personally uh, I will tell you another one that really stands out for me. And I remember sitting on a patio with some customers um, was with a Labatt customer when we launched Red Light. That was so a big one. That was a big one. That was really big. And we launched it on Hockey Night in Canada, you know, to the point where, you know, you know, back then, you know, and, and, and Ron and Don loved it to the point where Don even, and you probably remember this, 
wore a, a red light jacket on coach's corner and and so that that was a that was a massive one for me that i was a big part of that um you know it was met god that was i bet you that was has to be 10 years ago oh it was um, it was certainly something yeah 2012 2013 yeah for sure i mean i was you were at i guess you were at cbc at that time well, i was i was at tsn and yeah and I remember the calls. What can we do just like that, but yeah. not that? <laughs> yeah, it was big. It was, and I mean, it still lives today. Like you know, we're there's, we're still executing it today. I look, man. I've been I've been so lucky. Like so many great partners who who've put their trust in me and our and my organization, and you know, we've been able to execute some just unbelievable campaigns that have given so much back to communities. You know, I think about, you know, my, my partners at Kraft, you know, with Kraft Hockeyville. And I didn't start that, but I definitely came into it, I think in year two or three. And, you know, was a was definitely added, you know, you know, value and insight as we kind of morphed it over the years. But there's been so many amazing campaigns that I've been very lucky to work on and contribute, uh, contribute to. Um, but, th but those are some of the big ones that absolutely stand out to me. Oh, thanks for that. And it's so important to go down mem memory lane a bit uh, yeah. because, you know, not everything is a brand new idea just because someone who's kind of new to the business or new to the department has it. And unfortunately, you know, there's not in, the, in many organizations um, that we've seen in media, uh, you know, the, the legacy knowledge kind of has, has left the door for various reasons. And uh, yeah. but, that, but that's life. Mark, what, what what stands out for you? I mean, you've worked on a number oh, of yeah. campaigns. Like, what's a big one for you? I mean, for for me, I mean, I'm gonna go with. So, I, first of all, let me completely acknowledge the red, the red light is phenomenal. I think that that changed everything, and there was a lot of pressure. You know, I guess it was on the Bell Media side at that point, not from not internally, but from sponsors, competitors, right, to do something like that. I mean, I. There's so many. It's, I, lo I love how you're putting me on the spot now. There, there's one that I was involved with that when I was at TSN that lingers to today, and it's part of the uh, the Sports Center show. Yeah, uh, it's this concept of one v one. At the time, it was it was Dodge Ram that was the sponsor. It may yeah. very well be to this day. Yeah, I'm going to give all the credit to the brand partnerships team at TSN Bell Media for dreaming that up with the partner. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was part of the technology and the build of that. And um, just the fact that it still exists to today and it's part of the show, it, it's changed the Monday to Friday show. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm not going to take credit for the idea and I just have the good technology engineers who can put it together, but yeah. it's that kind of stuff. Because for me, and we can go into a whole other side topic about this, which is so many brands are just, are just renting technology by doing partnerships with people like you because they want access to it. Yeah. And it, you know, it's your business, whether it's innovating on TV, like you described at Global, like almost 20 years ago, or innovating on digital, which you guys have done so much of over the last number of years. Those brands, some of them like, and I'm just gonna throw out names, I don't have any backstory on it, but some brands like a like a Scotiabank, right? Yeah. Who are deeply embedded in their investment in the NHL and their partnership with you. You know, you can build legacy and that's kind of the challenge with the industry, which is 
Um, doesn't affect the NHL, but it certainly affects some of the smaller properties in Canada. Oh. Frankly, they're, they're just not, Al, they're not, they're not on your network. They're not on the other guy's network. You know, CBC is picking up a lot of these properties because, you know, they're a public broadcaster and there's, and they have a great, great distribution and a wonderful product in gem. We're going to get to OTT in a minute, by the way. Yeah. But that's kind of the, the, what I would call more the tragedy of sport in Canada, which is there's a lot of great sports and brands out there that yeah. are just renting space because that's how they generate revenue by just getting that mass distribution. But yeah. they're not, they're not investing in a legacy. And that, that's, that, that's just the disappointing part. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We could, we could spend an entire show just talking about, you know, how, how these creative ideas and, you know, uh, executions and, and how much they've contributed back to, you know, things like minor hockey, youth hockey in Canada, and you bring up Scotiabank and, and I got to tell you, like, they, they are, they are one without a doubt, one of the best partners I've ever worked with because they are, they're so committed to giving back. And, you know, I think about Scotiabank hockey day in Canada, and I don't know if you've ever been before. Um, I've been very lucky. I've literally traveled all over Canada to some of the most amazing communities. Um, and when you see how they think about leveraging that product and bringing the, you know, we call it bringing the circus to town, right? And um, and activating in this community and these and and the community just, you know, surrounds the production and they get so excited about, you know, seeing, you know, our on-air talent and shaking hands and, you know, Ron McLean is just, you know, I've worked with him for so many years and he's just, he's such an amazing human and how he brings and and then such a proud Canadian and, you know, how he activates for these with, you know, with these brands and, you know, the, some partners are in it purely for the marketing piece and to, and to, you know, get their names. And that's, that's fine. That's, that's part of the industry. And that's what we're doing. Others go a step further and are really thinking about the longevity and, and again, that aspirational piece, and and giving back to those communities and and you know Scotiabank definitely stands out for me in that in that in that's that great form. to have it's great to have yeah. those brands that are invested in you know what what we a term we've used before kind of country building if you will I have a few a couple more topics and they're a little more juicy that I absolutely want to cover I think we're good for yeah. for time um, so before we leave this topic of sponsorship and advertising yeah. in in this season's uh, broadcast of the NHL I've noticed that there's an there's an integration of the, uh, I'm going to call them the sports book, but you can call them what you'd like, uh, sports yep. interaction. Uh, I saw yep. them, you know, and maybe it was a kind of in a lower third type of an integration or a bug in your broadcast. Yep. If you can, if you could talk just a little bit about it, um, the background on, on that and really for our listeners and, and we've covered sports betting before on this podcast, so it's not a new topic, yeah. uh, yep. because, you know, as just a consumer, just a regular Canadian, and it's been well documented in the press, you know, there's some legalities around sports betting and yep. sports interaction, to the best of my knowledge, you know, is is considered like almost like an offshore, although they're Canadian, an offshore gray market sports book. So how do you just make that work so you can have it on yeah, Hockey Night in Canada? Yeah. Um, so listen, we there's uh, the majority of these brands are marketing a 
free to play site today, right? They, you know, that, you know, they, 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 they market the brand and the, and the dot nets. Um, there is, uh, the environment in Canada is changing as you are aware. I mean, everyone knows that, you know, it, it's, it's moving through the government as we speak. And our expectation is that, um, you know, we're going to have provinces, uh, likely, uh, standing up you know, infrastructure to have legal sports betting uh, in likely in this fiscal. Um, so it, it is interesting. Uh, we we are working with some uh, there's some expansion in, in, in and there's some you know legal views around what is kind of offshore, what's not offshore. Um, you know what, what there are some re, you know some are re, retailers in canada and um and so i think there is you know we've we've got some feedback that you know some those that are purely offshore uh still have to continue down a road of of you know marketing their free-to-play sites those that aren't freely uh, or that are not completely offshore and, and that have potentially, you know, retail in Canada and have legal, uh, uh, you know, uh, legalities around marketing their brands. Um, you know, we're starting to expand how we integrate them into, into some of our content and programming. Um, but I would say, you know, if, and it's interesting, I don't know if you, uh, I know you watch a, a ton of sports, but but how quickly it is, uh, in you know, uh, integrating itself in into our into our business, right? I I'll give you a great example. I watched last night. Uh, I watched uh, part of the Avalanche game, and in in Colorado, uh, you know, uh, online sports books are, are are now legal, and uh, and. I was blown away. I, I, I would suggest that 30, I'm going to say 30% share of voice of the advertising time was probably marketing a, whether it was a major sports book in the U S or a up and coming challenger brand, uh, in telecast. Uh, well, that's, that's and, great news for, for your business. I mean, opening up that category, uh, with multiple yeah. players who who can who are looking for reach like top of funnel we already talked about this yeah yeah listen it's it it you know it, it's going to be a big it's going to be a big part of our business moving forward for sure um and you know i i would suspect that you know we'll see similar um you know changes in this country and you know i think it's going to be a slower process. Well, although the U.S. has been relatively slow too, you know, it's it's province by province. The the provinces are are are, are kind of in charge of, of of kind of lighting this up on their own. You know, based on kind of what we're hearing from the government, it looks like Ontario will be, you know, the first first province to go, and it likely will be, um, you know, sometime in 2021. But you know, it, we're kind of in this wait and see. Um, 
kind of holding pattern. No, it makes sense. Thanks for giving us an answer. I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't expect anything more than, than what you said. And the audience will just, you know, appreciate how, how, just how open you guys are for business. And, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Switching gears very quickly is kind of our last meaty topic. Um, you know, just in the last number of days to kind of date when we're recording the podcast, you know, we've seen the NHL strike, a, you know, the beginning of a series of new deals, but yeah. essentially a new deal really with Disney and ABC and ESPN around their NHL rights. We're not going to get into the, you know, the depths of, of what that deal actually means. I, I can, I can tell you the, the part that impressed me a lot and some of the, the media that I was reading around the coverage of the deal, it, it actually seemed to mimic your deal, you know, between Rogers Sportsnet, Rogers and the NHL in many ways. So I was, I was kind of proud, proud of that. And I'll say, I'll say, Alio, in particular, the U.S. deal that we've seen so far seem to be driven a lot by the OTT rights for ESPN Plus yeah. over the linear rights, really to capture, you know, a younger demographic. And we've also seen in this time, uh, with with Disney Plus, you know, worldwide over a hundred million subscribers of that OTT service, ESPN Plus, which is really only available in the U.S., yep. has gone from six to twelve million subscribers over the last year. A lot more households in the U.S., by the way, compared to Canada. For anyone yeah. trying to do the uh, proportion and do the math. So when you yeah. think about your OTT product, Sportsnet Now, yeah, where would you say it's at? You know, in its life cycle today. Yeah. And is there anything that you can talk about that is either accelerating, you know, its adoption yep. or holding it back? Yeah. Listen, I, I think um, so if I had to kind of say where it is in its infancy, kind of in its life cycle, I would say it's in its infancy. Right. I think we are we are still uh, we're kind of, on, you know, on our on our way to use a sports analogy from home to first base. So, um, but I would also suggest it is a big part of our strategy moving forward. You know, it's, in, it's interesting, you know, as, as Rogers, you know, um, you know, the, the concept of direct to consumer for so long was, was, you know, quite frankly, and you know, this from working where you've worked in the past, it was a, there was a bit of a taboo associated with it, right? Because, you know, we we own B, we own BDUs, we own relationships with customers, and the priority for owning these media assets was to also, you know, uh, feed feed those platforms. I, you know, I think in kind of goes back to the data conversation, which is look the the market's evolving and changing, and you know, some customers you know are looking at. Um, you know, they spend the majority amount of their time consuming just sports. And we see a lot of consumers who are like that. And so we are really looking at how do we get our product into as many hands as possible? And we've got to have different price points for us um, to attract those customers. Um, you know, obviously, the trend is when you look at streamers, um, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a lot of growth in the space, um, and so it's something that we are very focused on. Uh, and I would agree. I thought that the, you know, the the structure of the NHL deal and the things that they pointed out were were you know somewhat specific, and there was a lot of talk about the streaming relationship. And 
you know, the, the gang that did the deal for Rogers, you know, uh, had the great insight of ensuring that, you know, we, we controlled all channels. So including all of streaming and, you know, NHL live as a product is, you know, it's, it's the NHL's product, but we effectively own it and run it in Canada. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I, I don't know how you would do a deal of that breadth and size without having control of all distribution on all channels, right? Because the reality is for them to drive value and, 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 you know, uh, create environments for their marketers that, um, that cover all platforms, uh, you, you, you need to own all of the distribution to do that because we're headed towards a world that, you know, you know, is, is going to be much more fragmented than it is today. No, that makes, that makes so much sense. And, you know, if I ever have someone like Bart Yapsley on the podcast, we'll talk a little more deeply into BDU distribution, yeah. uh, but I'm not going to, in the time we have today, I'm not going to put that on you. Um, yeah. But it is, you know what, can I just, I will sure. comment on this because, you know, it is, it, it is interesting, right? Because we are, we do see a lot of data around, you know, the last number of years, we've seen some pretty, I, you know, it, it, it gets a bit blown out of proportion, you know, we're, we've been kind of hovering around three to 4% cord cutting in Canada for the last couple of years. Last year, that started to slow down and almost flattened right out uh, where, you know, some BDUs actually saw some growth last year, which hasn't been the case for a number of years, right, in terms of subs. And, you know, I look at some of the new products like, you know, Rogers Ignite or Bell Five or, you know, that are, 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 are kind of t spinning almost a hybrid between, um, you know, a, a, an app, you know, taking what is traditional cable in terms of, you know, picking your packages, but also bringing some of the bigger streaming apps into one environment. Um, and what I would say is what I've become hugely you know, and I'm not, I'm, I do work for Big Red and, I, and I'm a fan of our products and services, but the voice activation in Ignite has completely changed the way that I watch television. Um, you know, the fact that I, you know, when I'm sitting down and I've got a, you know, an hour or two and I want to engage, you know, I, I literally am going NHL or, you know, Leafs on Sportsnet or, and, and literally it's bringing up content in a way that I, um, that I can you know, consume it, which is very different than the way we used to kind of engage with, with guides, et cetera. And the fact that we're rolling in uh, other platforms like Netflix, like, you know, Amazon video, uh, all of these products that is all being tagged metadata and you can search using your voice, it, it to me, it's completely changed the way that my family consumes content. Um, and I do think that this idea of OTT services without aggregation will be a really interesting conversation over the years to come. Because everyone, you know, cable's too expensive, access to this content's too expensive. And then you sit back and now you've got, okay, wait a minute. I got, I need like seven OTT packages at, 
$20 a month or more, um, you know, it, it'll be really, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next several years. Oh, thanks for adding all of that experience part into the equation. Uh, I think it's been well documented that, you know, the old form remote control just doesn't do the trick compared to what you can do on your phone and how your phone is kind of the center of your universe. You're lucky. I mean, you work for an integrated telecommunications and media company. I, the revenue on, on those services, that doesn't fall under you, right? That's someone else on the telco side of the business. Yeah. The, uh, and I think the other piece, just for the audience to know, we're not going to discuss this, but Rogers was not shy probably about four years ago by announcing um, that they were adopting Comcast IPTV technology to power that Ignite experience, yeah. which I know was a little crushing for some great you know, engineers in Canada. But I think it speaks to something on the technology side, not on the content side. Yeah, I agree. Which is, you know, we're, we're a country of 35 million people. We can't, we can't be expected to hire people, whether you're Bell, Rogers, Telus, Chorus, CBC, I don't care. You cannot be expected to build technology for 400 million people or a billion people. It just doesn't return. No, I listen, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And then on top of that to, you know, delineate marketing revenue through them, right? Like there, the fragmentation issue is, a, is going to be a bigger problem down the road. Um, and so we are really focused on, um, you know, working with the industry as a whole to try to reduce the amount of systems and ad tech. And if we can land in a world where, it, you know, we, we've got a much simplified uh, environment. So, you know, trading and execution can be, you know, more automated than it, it, than it is today. And, you know, uh, marketers can execute audience segments more uh, uh, more easily across all of the big um, media codes. I think that's what we, we we also need to be focused on moving forward. Because right now there's a lot of friction in the system, and you know we should be focused far far more on outcome and less on you know the hands-on keyboards executional stuff than we are today. We always got to hope for a better future. And you've been, you've been very generous with your time today. Al, I, I do want to ask you one kind of final question, which is really important to us because we, we hope that many of our listeners are looking to enter the industry or are up and comers in the industry. And so I'd like you just you to give some advice to people who are you know, looking at media, sports, ad sales, sponsorship, marketing. I mean, the industry at large, you know it all so well. You've held, you've held so many roles with vast scope what kind of advice would you give to people who are looking into this space yeah listen i i think um i like i i go back i go back to you know passion first and foremost like you you need to love this business like you really need to love um love love the content um, because I, I, you know, I think if you are a, if you are a, a massive fan of, of media and, or the sports industry or whatever, uh, and you know, the, the school piece is obvi obviously, you know, uh, is important, but I find that the, you know, the, the, the people that we hire 
that do do the best are the ones who live, eat, breathe, sleep this stuff, right? Like they they are so engaged with it. They they consume it on all platforms. They are they typically are fans of um, of like gaming around it. They're they're into running, you know, uh, little leagues with their friends, and they 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 get so engaged in it. And I think because they spend so much time with it that you know they've got so many creative ideas, and because we put so many hours in to those folks, they're just doing something that they absolutely love. And it comes through. It comes through in how they deal with their their partners. It comes through in with with the ideas that they come up with. And so, you know, I would just say, you know, unless you really are into it, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I it's, today I still see it sometimes. I'll, you know, I'll talk to a a, a salesperson who who you know uh, may work in, in on a specific whether it's a radio person or a tv person or whatever and and you know you go out is you know what did you you know how much tv did you watch or you know what are your favorite radio stations or audio you know uh podcasts that you listen to and and some of them work in the space and they and they don't really spend a lot of time with the mediums and you know i just i i just don't understand that so you know the the ones in my organizations that end up performing really well are are the ones who are super engaged with the content and super engaged with the industry you know you've the other piece i will tell you is if you uh if you don't like change if you like to work in an environment that is very consistent and um and doesn't move a lot and doesn't change a lot and you know you you like to go in at nine and you like to clock out at five this is not the industry for you because this industry is constantly evolving it's constantly in, uh, constantly changing you need to be inquisitive you need to you need to have this sense of you know, I want to understand things because this industry uh, it does not stand still. And as I look out further, um, the rate in which it will change and evolve over the next several years is just expanding and picking up speed. So if you like that type of environment, if you love change, if you love constant innovation, if you like working in a in an organization where, hey, today I'm working on this project and next year I might be working on something completely different because we're standing up a brand new business that's, you know, you know, uh, has, has a completely different deliverable. Uh, this is the industry you want to work in for sure. Listen, that's great advice. And you're, you're painting a picture really of excitement. So I'm really thrilled to hear that. Thanks again, Al. This was this was awesome to, to catch up and hear, you know, everything that's going on and has gone on in your career. I wish you just continued success. Oh, thanks, Mark. It's been so good to catch up with you. Uh, and, uh, you know, thanks for inviting me on your show. I've been uh, I've been listening to you for the last couple of weeks. So you're doing some great work here. So thanks. The Backstage Project Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go. They help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.